you would turn in your Bible to Isaiah 11, verses 1 through 10 for our text this morning, our message entitled, When We're Stumped. Isaiah 11, verses 1 through 10. In the chapter before, Isaiah's painted the bleak picture that leads us to chapter 11. Assyria, that enemy army of Israel, is knocking at the door. If you were to read the passage just before, you would see them marching closer and closer. They've already captured Samaria, the capital and the kingdom to the north, and they're making their way nearer and nearer. It would be as if we opened our text today and began to read of an army camped in Denver that had begun making its way further south to Dalhart and Dumas, taking over Pampa and Panhandle and knocking at our door even now. The only thing that could possibly come next for God's people in Isaiah chapter 10 is a siege that Assyria's evil armies would surround them take hold of them, take what independence they have left and snatch it from underneath their feet. Darkness is knocking at the door. That's when the news comes in Isaiah chapter 11, beginning in verse one. A dream, a vision, the words of the Lord on Isaiah's lips, then a shoot will spring from the stem of Jesse. And a branch from his roots will bear fruit. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him. The spirit of wisdom and understanding. The spirit of counsel and strength. The spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And he will delight in the fear of the Lord. And he will not judge by what his eyes see. Nor make a decision by what his ears hear. But with righteousness he will judge the poor, and decide with fairness for the afflicted of the earth. He will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips he will slay the wicked. Also righteousness will be the belt about his loins, and faithfulness the belt about his waist. And the wolf will dwell with the lamb, and the leopard will lie down with the young goat, and the calf, and the young lion, and the fatling together, and a little boy will lead them. Also the cow and the bear will graze. Their young will lie down together and the lion will eat straw like the ox. The nursing child will play by the hole of the cobra and the weaned child will put his hand on the viper's den. They will not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain for the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Then, in that day, the nations will resort to the root of Jesse, who will stand as a signal for the peoples, and his resting place will be glorious. This was Isaiah's word to the people of his day. It's a word no less powerful in ours, that there is a someone who is coming, a hope just around the corner in the midst of all our hopelessness. 
I wonder if you've gotten any news this week. It's that time of the year, if you hadn't noticed, when you find out how many businesses have your email address. Somewhere between Black Friday and Small Business Saturday and Cyber Monday. I thought the season was Thanksgiving, but turns out it's the season of deals, season of discounts. They come in every form. They're in your mailbox, your inbox, your text messages. They get weirder every year. The deals are deeper. The discounts are are, are bigger. And then you start to get the ones that you're not too sure about. Have you gotten mail that says you can return a little form and get two free airline tickets on your next vacation? The deals start to seem too good to be true. Maybe you've been specially selected for a one-year free subscription if you sign up by Monday. Sometimes those deals, they seem too good to be true. 90% off of something that's practically free. The discounts roll in, the deals keep getting marked down, and sometimes they seem like a steal, but other times they seem like they'll just steal you. I saw the special not too long ago. One of those investigative reporter journalists spent their time on deals that seemed too good to be true because they didn't have any other things worth doing, I guess. They, they decided to fill out the forms, you know, the ones that you just toss in the trash because there's no way that they're giving away two free airline tickets to your destination of choice just for filling out the form. They did it. It turns out you have to listen to a two-hour presentation. When you tell them no, they move you on to the next person who, uh, while signing you out, continues to try and sell you on the deal. And if you go through with all of it, they pass on your promotion, that promised airline ticket to a third-party provider who, who may or may not contact you if you send in the fee that they require in the proper forms in their place. Sometimes when the deal seems too good to be true, it, it, it just is. Too good to be true. Don't get your hopes up. You know, for generations, Isaiah's readers, it must have felt like A dream like this is just too good to be true. If we're honest, a lot of what I just read to you still does. It seems far-fetched, too good to be real. One by one, men had come to fill the throne of David. To join that tree of Jesse, his royal line. You remember where it started back when Israel had made a home in the promised land and they had gone to God asking for a king and and God's anointed one, Samuel, had gone out to find one. He went to Jesse's house where he found the most unexpected, the least likely candidate of all of Jesse's sons. It was David who started that Davidic line from Jesse. And it continued... But Jesse's royal line all throughout Scripture struggled to do what God always called it to do, to to bear God's fruit. Those branches didn't bear a whole lot of fruit. Jesse's son Rehoboam ruled for 18 years, but there was no kindness in his reign. He He didn't have the fruit he was supposed to have. And Jesse's great grandson Abijah, 
He ruled for for just three years. He was cut short because there was no self-control in his reign. There was no godly fruit. The story was the same for, for murderous kings like Manasseh and Jehoram and other kings sponsored idol worship and built shrines like Ahaz and Ammon. And then came Zedekiah, who was humbled by the Babylonians, hauled away in chains, defeated as he had to watch his own sons be killed by his enemies. There would be no more descendants from that branch. What happened? to Jesse's royal line, the the royal great tree, the branches were cut down until only a stump is left. That's the story that Isaiah speaks this word into. Eight men filled the throne after Isaiah penned these words. Every one of them frustrating the hopes of God's people until finally the whole thing had to be cut down. The end of chapter 10 And Isaiah says, the Lord, the God of hosts will lop off the bows with a terrible crash. Those who are tall in stature will be cut down and those who are lofty will be abased. He will cut down the thickets of the forest with an iron ax. It's the same announcement that John the Baptist had to make when he showed up on the scene in the gospels. The ax lies at the root of the tree. Stumps everywhere you turn in the Old Testament. What was once a powerful, life-giving, world-shaping tree from the lineage of Jesse has deteriorated into one big, lifeless stump. And with every new king, there were many who cried, this is the one, this is the anointed one of Israel, this is God's Messiah, but every time their hopes were disappointed. No one has ever been more stumped than God's people who read and heard the words of Isaiah chapter 11. I wondered this morning, where do you find yourself today? Have you ever felt stumped, cut off, cut down, tossed aside, assuming something in your life is just too far gone? too late to fix, too rotten to redeem? Is there, is there a relationship in your life that you've just dismissed or given up on? Is there a dead end that seems like there's no way past it and so you've just moved on to another way? All of the expectations of the people of God would be like that, dead and without life. If you've ever had a large stump, ever cut down a tree at your house, you know that there's a couple of options of what you can do with a a big old stump that sits in the way. You can pull it out of the ground, I suppose, use a tractor or a truck or enough of your friends. You can get the right permit and toss it in the bonfire and just burn it up. You can cut it up, chop it into pieces, maybe even use the mulch on your property somewhere. Or of course, you can just leave it unattended in the ground to to rot into the earth beneath it. Isaiah's word comes today to the most stumped, sawed off, cut down branches you've ever seen and says, hope can still come from this. 
Where there once was a large tree, where there once was beauty, where there once was life and the seeds for new life, there will be only a stump, God had said, a sawed off, hard, dry, lifeless reminder of what used to be, a symbol of the end. And yet none of these ways of destroying it is what Isaiah envisions. Here, in this poem of hope, he paints the picture of of new growth, of even more, a, a branch that bears fruit. Not just life is going to come up, but, but life again. The word for branch in Hebrew speaks of a, a young, tender shoot that comes from a stump or a branch. It's, it's new life, new growth from a dead tree. A time would come, Isaiah says, when God could redeem even this. And with every line of David seemingly cut off with the root of Jesse sawed off like a stump with the Syria knocking at the door. It would seem like there is no hope for God's people. And we're here today to read these words and to make it known to every corner of the earth that if God can bring life out of death like this, there is no amount of death that he cannot undo. Not one of the eight kings could fulfill the aspirations of God's people. And when the last one of them fell in the sixth century, it would have seemed like Isaiah's life out of death was lost, the promise gone in the dust of Jerusalem. Other kingdoms had brutalized them. First the Babylonians, then the Persians, then the Greeks, and the Romans after them, all ending the life they thought they had. And still... The great hope of Isaiah that one was coming from the house of David who would change the world, looked as good as dead. Who could imagine life out of something so gone, so dead, so cut off? By the time of the Gospels, it seems like there's only a few who remain who wait in eager expectation for the consolation of Israel. We meet them in Zechariah and Simeon and Anna and Mary. Today, a candle of hope is lit beside us because every word of hope from the mouth of God is a promise that will be true. Every dream from the lips of our Lord can be counted as law. So when Isaiah proclaims a shoot will come forth from the stem of Jesse, from that stump, a branch that bears fruit, the church has believed it for years, especially during its Advent season, to be seen in the promise of a new king from David's line, the promise of Jesus himself. Paul said it in Romans 5, you see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. And the word of Isaiah today that fills our worship is the word of a God who keeps his promises. That when we were stumped, God brought forth a shoot. A branch grew up from the roots, a rod from the branch of Jesse. That's Isaiah's announcement in chapter 11. And verses 1 through 5 tell us what this Messiah would be like. I want you to look at verses 1 through 5 as we see what the Messiah would be like. It says, He shall judge 
He shall not judge by what his eyes sees or decide by what his ears hear. In other words, he won't be swayed in his judgment by whether a person is well-dressed or wealthy, as judges of Isaiah's time were known to be. He will not judge people based on gossip or hearsay, as many more people since their time have been known to do. He will judge with fairness and righteousness for the poor and for the rich, for the meek, or the influential, and the gospel speak of Jesus being able to see not just what's on the outside, but what's in the heart, in their inner thoughts, evaluating them that way. He will provide righteousness for the poor and the meek. To have Jesus Christ as king means we have a king that is good and powerful, and none of the usual biases and prejudices that we've known other rulers to have will be found in him. For with the breath of his lips, he shall kill the wicked, verse four continues. He needs no army, no guard, no henchmen, no sword to implement the verdict, the rule that he rules. One word from his mouth is enough to do away with all of the evil doers. Righteousness shall be the belt around his waist, faithfulness the belt around his loins. Always part of him, always present. He will be faithful and righteous even to the point of death, even death on a cross. This is the king that will spring forth yet like a fresh young shoot from the seemingly hopeless situation of Israel. You see what Isaiah envisioned Jesus embodied. What Isaiah pictured, Jesus perfected. What Isaiah dreamed, Jesus came and demonstrated that there is a better way of life, a new world breaking in even now, and it lies in this season in the manger. And if verses one through five tell us what the Messiah would be like, verses six through 10 tell us the world that Messiah would make. Verses 6 through 10 tell us the world that this Messiah would make. Isaiah draws a word picture that has fascinated and inspired generations. They've called it the peaceable kingdom. That instead of nations at peace, as in Isaiah 2, we see a, a nature at peace. That no longer will nature be red in tooth and claw, it will be a creation restored to God's perfect shalom, the peace of God Himself. He portrays the kind of safety and security that come from the rule of Jesus. The, the helpless and innocent will be at ease with those who were formerly most violent. Wolf with lamb, the strong dependent on the weak, the sojourner, the, the stranger who is dependent on others. A child, not a monarch, is the one God chooses to rule the world's great, innocent, simplicity, faith. A child playing in a den of snakes, death, where is your sting? And you may wonder, as you well have the right to do, how does God envision taking carnivorous animals whose digestive tracts can't handle being herbivorous and suddenly making them eat a, a plant-based diet like we see here? Or, or how can angel... Uh, Animals of prey suddenly lie together. Who would let their children play in places so dangerous? The theological point is shouted in verse 9. They shall neither hurt 
nor destroy on all my holy mountain. You see, the violent death that entered the world through humans will be done away with, will not be a part of the new world that the branch of Jesse will bring, and death shall be no more. And I wonder today, as we read the big, bold proclamations of prophets like Isaiah, if some of this just starts to seem too good to be true. I would venture to guess that for generations of, of Bible readers, they've stopped at verse 6, content to go to the manger and sing, Oh, come, let us adore him but too scared to keep reading to find out what kind of world he would have us make if we believed in what was happening there. It's hard to imagine a world like Isaiah's dream here. For me, it is at least sometimes. It can be impossible to imagine a world without death because that's all we've ever seen in our experience or in a lab, but the prophet says that the impossible will be done by the Lord. Things that we've never seen in this world, which humans have not known, but only God knows. The prophet assures us that God, the God who's beyond all knowing, will one day transform the whole world to be something entirely new. And that all of that will be accomplished by this, this little shoot from the stump of Jesse, who will make God known. God will draw all the nations to himself by raising a banner among the nations, the text says. And if that's hard for you to believe, that God can bring new life from impossible places, then I've got good news for you today. You came to church on a good day. You see, we start the Advent season by lighting the candle of hope because we believe that born in a manger in Bethlehem 2,000 years ago, God made a once and final proclamation that he himself would come to rescue his people. As we reflect on the manger in this season, we see new possibility around here. That the Spirit of God enters the picture and when it does, Isaiah says, a stump can grow a branch. The roots can sprout up and bear fruit if they want to. If God wants there to be a time of peace when none will hurt or destroy on all God's holy mountain, if God wants the whole earth to be as full of the knowledge of the Lord as waters cover the sea, he will make it so. Even when our prospects for peace look most hopeless, when your life is cut off, stumped, or something broken, we have the same promise. God's spirit will come. Friends, we can be filled with hope because Isaiah knew a God who kept his promises and the same God keeps them still. New life is breaking in all around us. Everywhere people pro profess Jesus Christ is Lord, God's spirit wells up within us and changes the world even now. Do you believe that it's possible today? If you don't, if you haven't seen the shoots springing up around this place, if you haven't felt the branches bump into you along the way, I'm telling you, you're looking in the wrong places because they're here. I see them all the time. If you don't, let me remind you of some of them. 
I see him every time a church member climbs inside a bus and drives across town to pick up a refugee who needs an English lesson. I see it every time a grandmother gets bunk beds because her grandkids are there and she doesn't know or remember what it's like to raise kids again. I see it in every box of food placed in the trunk of someone who needs it at the Perkins Center on Tuesday and Thursday mornings. I see it in the halls when paint by number pictures go by that are planting the gospel down in our children's hearts. I see it in a Christian job corps class when a single mother is suddenly inspired to get back in the workplace because she can provide and she has the skills. I see it in every ninth grader who shows up to Sunday school and even more in every volunteer who shows up to teach them. It's ninth grade after all. I see it in a marriage class filled with couples intent on re-engaging not just today but for the rest of their lives because God said it should be so. I see it in the preschoolers who run to the car and recount the Bible stories on their way home. I see it in the men and women who greet at the door, who usher in the midst of a service, who lead through music, who take their talents and put them in the hands of the church and say, let me be used by the kingdom of God. It happens in these pews every time a businessman decides that profit doesn't have to be the only measure of success. It happens when every teacher shows up to school and decides that the students' lives have value and they can make a difference right there. It happens in every workplace around this city when the Spirit of God comes alive through God's people and does something that we previously believed to be impossible because that's what God's Spirit does. It shows up in the darkest and deadest places and a shoot, a branch grows from a stump. I'm telling you, if you haven't bumped into the branches or seen the shoots around here, it's time for you to look for them and find them. Start watering the roots. Start planting the seeds. Because Isaiah knows the spirit, the wind of God, this incomprehensible, inextricable, irresistible force of God that blows uninvited into our lives is coming even now. And so every time a neighbor forgives a neighbor, or a family is reconciled or a relationship restored, we say God is breaking in even now. Today we come to the manger and I hope you get your hopes up because not one bit of it is too good to be true. And when you come and look this Christmas, don't stop at the manger and just stand in awe, but believe that Bethlehem is just the beginning. That Advent is all about what's coming next. That there's no stopping the shoots. There's no stopping the Spirit of God. That everywhere death exists, there is nothing He cannot undo. Here at our church, we're looking for stumps. We're watering the roots. We're believing that new life in God can grow anywhere that it wants. And I want to ask you today, what would you be doing if you believed that new life could come from anywhere? Where would you run to next if it turned out that this news isn't too good to be true? What would you do if that miracle in the manger was really just the start? This is the story 
of Christ in you, the hope of glory. Let's pray together. Father, we come today to proclaim by our lives and by our songs and by our time together that you are Lord of all and that you are doing a new thing even now and you invite us to be wrapped up in it and a part of it, inviting your kingdom to come even now. We pray that in this Advent season as we await your coming, we would be marveled in awe of your grace and goodness to us. We pray that it would change the way that we live, change the possibilities that we hope for. We pray that the Spirit of God would be on us as well. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.